Hey there, entrepreneurs, and welcome. Before we jump into today's episode, I just want to say an extra, extra big thank you. We have just surpassed our 50th episode, and I'm just, I couldn't be happier. And I wanted to say thank you to all of you for supporting us. And if you are interested in learning, you know, what are some of the top things that I have learned or observed from interviewing all of these amazing entrepreneurs, go back and check out last Thursday's mini episode where I talk about the top three things that I've observed over these 50 episodes. You don't want to miss that. But for right now, I am jumping in with the fantastic Sean Bacon. Let's go. Ever found yourself teetering on the edge of throwing in the towel? You know, asking yourself questions like, is this supposed to be this hard? Or is it even possible to succeed at this entrepreneur thing? I completely get it because I built my successful businesses while juggling major health issues for my children and myself, debt piling up to my eyeballs and so much more. Want to know how the hell I succeeded and how you can too? Tune in to find out. Here we go. entrepreneurs, you have no idea how much of a treat you're in for today with this conversation. I am really happy to welcome Mr. Sean Bacon to the show today. This this guy's just a badass and we're going to have a really good conversation and I'm excited for it. He and I, when we first met, talked forever, ever across all, all different points, whether we agreed, disagreed, it didn't matter. It was just a really great conversation. So let me give you a little bit more insight into Sean. He is a Canadian Armed Forces veteran who served 12 years as a paratrooper and as an instructor at the Canadian Forces Military Police Academy. Sean developed a system of training to psychologically and physically prepare both soldiers and police to survive and thrive in some of the worst situations and environments the world has to offer. Um, hint, hint, we're on the resilient entrepreneur. That's why he's here. <laughs> um, so now his company dynamic shift consulting Inc uses this quote unquote warrior mindset to work with fortune 500 companies and corporate leaders to develop and sustain mental toughness, leadership, and team development in a competitive business environment. You know, his clients include people like Scotiabank, First West um, Credit Union, Mountain Equipment Co-op, Cal Tire, Island Savings, Prospera Credit Union, Langley Concrete, and Vancouver Whitecaps. So guys, I, I can't even, I'm so excited for this conversation, Sean. So thank you for joining me today. Uh, it's my pleasure. All right. Let's jump in, friend. You got a long story, a long, exciting story that I know everybody would love to hear. So take us back, take us back. Military, I want to hear it all. So I'm just going to hand it over to you, friend. All right. Um, served 12 years. Uh, I had a really uh, blessed and privileged career. Um, when I retired, I was the chief use of force firearms and tactics instructor at the AMP Academy. Uh, Seconded to the Leadership Academy, medical school, uh, got to serve as a paratrooper, uh, really blessed career. Um, when I got out, uh, went back to school uh, as a massage therapist. I love it. Because <laughs> I, I just needed the balance. I, I was teaching people's, uh, you know, very lethal skill sets or non-lethal skill sets as it, as it may be. And um it was weighing on my soul a little bit and I just needed the balance. I, obviously I didn't stick with, I, I finished, but I didn't, you know, I didn't stick, I didn't stick with it. So, but there was the problem is uh, when I got out, I didn't realize um, what leaving would be the vacuum of, of leaving the service. Um, and the thing you lose is your tribe. Yeah. Uh, your brothers and your sisters that you have this intrinsic trust with, uh, and loyalty and bonds with that uh, only conflict and adversity can provide. And that really affected me hard. And uh, at, strangely enough, in here in Canada at that time, uh, and this was about 2003, 2004, um, no one would hire me. <laughs> uh, like, Why? They, they just uh, fear. They didn't understand what a veteran is or they didn't want someone going postal. Uh, you know, there's a lot of fear and misunderstanding or lack of information. 
PR problem, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's different now. It's much different now. And I'm really grateful that it is. Um, but a veteran hired me as a physical trainer uh, in a gym and ended up tripping into this um, whole like head first tripped into being an entrepreneur. Right. Um, started part-time working with teams and athletes, started the business 100% athletic. Right. And applying the same tools I would train a soldier or a police person, I trained these. I trained ten-year-old kids, and they loved it. Right. Of course, you do it to an eighteen-year-old; they hate. They hate it. That's a little different. They're going to hate anything you do. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> but these ten-year-olds were loving it, and the parents were loving it. So it's creating a following. And then one day, I met my mentor, a guy named George Melville. Uh, I was training his grandson. And uh, at a hockey academy. And he gave me his business card and I didn't call it for like a year. (laughs) And then one day, my beloved wife is also my business partner. uh, And she's the real business. I'm, I'm just the front of the store. I'm an educator. I'm not a business person, but she's the business. And I said, Hey, can you, you, I just want some time. Uh, I need some advice. I need some direction. I don't know if you're willing to do that. He gave me an hour of his time. Awesome. So I scraped together five, my $500, which was a big deal at the time, yeah. and drove to Vancouver, BC, which is a four-hour drive out with him. And he gave me an hour. And I think he was expecting me to ask for money or something like, hey, would you, you know, invest in my business or something? All I said was, I need a mentor. That launched my business. Uh, we're, here we are eight years later, seven years full-time as a business. And I went from 100% athletic to 99% corporate. Right, right. And there's so much crossover in those, in those skills when it comes to leadership and everything else, though. I mean, yes. the, the disciplinary approach to it and you know, being able to look at things from all sides. You know, If you're on a playing field, you got to be able to look at all the different options that are laying out in front of you. And if you're running a team, you got to be doing the same stuff, right? Well, absolutely. But the funny thing about resiliency is resiliency is more than grit. Exactly. Yep. It's positive choices you make and communication is one of those biggest choices you make. Right. So when you get a team thinking cohesively, when you get them wanting to own adversity versus try to survive it, yeah. that's the shift in the mindset that happens that changes everything. Yeah. Yeah. And it's admitting that <laughs> I just love the fact that you just said own the adversity versus, you know, the resistance <laughs> to it or the, the focus on surviving it. Because I think there is, there is a certain mind shift that occurs when you accept the fact that bad shit happens in life, right? Yeah, we, that we it's a balance. That. It's a balance between good and evil, good and evil, like movie terms, um, <laughs> you know, at all times, right? You can't have one without the other. And I think right. in terms of a surprise to you that adversity exists, then we have a whole other podcast episode that we need to be talking about. Exactly. Uh, we have a saying in the military, embrace the suck. Right. <laughs> okay, we do, because you know it's going to suck. Right. As a matter of fact, I belong to a, a particular unit um, uh, called Pathfinder Platoon. And Pathfinder is a really wonderful, weird, really weird group because they jump behind enemy lines, build a drop zone, do advanced reconnaissance. They're ghosts. They're, they're just fantastic people. And I'm not a pathfinder. I was lucky enough to be attached to the unit and um, their attitude to adversity was every piece. Like they could accomplish the seemingly impossible because of their mindset. Exactly. When they said, Oh, well, this is like next to impossible. These guys poke their head up and go, Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. We'll do it. Yeah. Hang on. Whoa, whoa. It's raining. Oh yeah. We'll do it. (laughs) Yeah. It's raining. Good you God. Know. Like I say to my children, it's just water. It won't kill you. It's a, um, exactly. <laughs> you know, so I, but it's I think a, it's, it's interesting. I'm taking a course right now and it's talking all about the different sections of your brain and you know, how it's designed to keep you safe. And those people who kind of can, can tap into the piece that kind of overcomes that design per se, right? Like people who run towards gunfire or people who <laughs> put themselves in, you know, difficult situations or who aren't, a hundred percent risk averse, right. right? Which probably describes you as I imagine. Um, so I want to, I want to step back though, because I, I think it. there, there is value in, in touching upon your transition, my dear, because you and I have spoken about this too, between the military and massage therapist, but you know, 
So speak a little bit more about your emotional state and that time, because that's a very specific shift to make. And I, and I can't imagine you're alone in the mindset of wanting to make it, but you actually did it, which is different. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll be candid. I was in a dark place. Dark doesn't even describe it. I was in a black place. Right. Um, Self-loathing, anger, resentment, um, alienated. Um, and then you go from this really um, intense lifestyle that is the military. Yeah. And, and don't don't get me wrong. I, I think service was fantastic. But right. That transition now. I'm going into a class where I'm I'm a minority, on multiple fronts. Uh, I'm a I'm only one of five guys in a class of forty. That's one. I'm the only soldier. <laughs> That's two. And some of the questions they would ask me were like, um, borderline insulting. Like it's just their ignorance. They didn't know. Well, right. You know, but and you're sitting there gobsmacked, going, ah. and. I, I carried a lot of this emotional baggage, but diving into the pool, you know, I'm the type of guy that you don't dip your, your foot in a pool to see the temperature. Yeah. You, I jump in and deal with the temperature. Exactly. Um, my favorite thing to do is to get into cold water right. um, because it's to do what a, a paratrooper does or a soldier does, or, you know, it doesn't matter. You have to actually put yourself out there. You got to take it's a, this courageous moment to go. I'm most likely going to fail. I'm going to, I'm going to have to own my failure. Exactly. I'm going to have to not take myself seriously, but take what I do seriously. And then most importantly, I got to get out of my own damn way. Yes. Yeah. So I've really focused on the technical skill set and less about the social, but Strangely enough, the social came along right. in this really weird and wonderful way. Um, the community I was with had a really hard time understanding me, but the teachers actually connected with me more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it was, it was a great experience. When you're approaching like a holistic training like that, they're, they're trained in compassion, right? So I would be very <laughs> surprised if you had some teachers that were like, get the F out, right? Because it is an unconditional level of compassion and understanding that comes in with that, which I think, you know, I can imagine helped you step out of the chaos that you stepped out of with the military, not chaos in the sense of obviously they're very straightforward in their protocols and everything like that, but that um, more of that sense of um, what's the word I'm looking for, like um, urgency all the time right? Yeah. You come out of a combat zone with, or that you come through, even if you're just constantly in a state of resilience or constantly in a state of adversity, you get conditioned to not understand the normal. Does that make sense? That's a great point. Um, and it's, I just did a talk on this and it's in the military, it's education or training, right? Followed by practical, so which is exercise mm -hmm. followed by operations, the actual use thereof, and then repeat back to educate training X op training X op. And you just repeat this yeah. process. And the beautiful thing is they, the way they provide their education, you're using it right now and you're gaining a mastery very quickly of what you need to know so that in adver adversity, in conflict, you can trust your training. You can just rely on, it's like breathing. Mm -hmm. Problem is the moment you stop, Exactly. Now your brain is processing all the education, all the exercises, all the operations. And now there's an emotional response to that. Right. So that's the part I wasn't prepared for was the quiet of my mind. Yeah. It's a scary so. place to be, man. Sometimes <laughs> like, I think we talked about this. I can't remember, but you know, my dad, military and trainer for, you know, SWAT type teams and all sorts of stuff, but also, you know, struggled many years, addiction, mental illness and stuff like that. And he would say the quiet and your mind is sometimes the scariest fucking place to be because, you know, it's one thing if you're in control and like you're in a controlled environment and you're like rinse, repeat, like you just said, it's another when you don't have a crisis yeah. combat or you don't have shit hitting the fan. Like, then you're like, oh, hmm. I actually have to sit with myself, which is scary sometimes. Um, 
I want to go back to, you know, you said, you know, you were the kind that jumps into the pool and then you check yeah. the temperature later. I want to be clear though, that does not negate the fear of a situation. Oh God, no. I want to just drive that point home. Uh, so people don't oh, yeah. think like, you're just like a crazy guy who just like jumps in and doesn't. Think no, 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 always I'm, there. So speak to that a little bit, my dear. It's, it, I got asked once, uh, I do a lot of Q and a, even in my keynotes, I'll do a Q and a, and I got asked, what's the number one emotion that you felt in the military? And I went fear. Yeah. And they went, and, and I went, no, 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 fear. Just that. That's um, enough. Yeah. It's, it, well, it's a predominant, like fear of failure, fear of letting your team down, um, fear of not knowing. Uh, I have a fear of heights. I jump out of airplanes. Yeah. And that's, to, and really uh, in par when you go to parachute school, I mean, yeah, it's very demand. It's a very demanding program, uh, high failure rate, uh, you know, showed up with 80 guys, graduate with 20. Right. And um, when it comes time to jump and your heart's in your chest and you're watching your instructors make the sign of the cross before they jump. I remember looking at my instructor and I thought he was the hardest ass guy I've ever known. And he said, and I go, Master Corporal, are you afraid? And he goes, hell yeah. And you should be because that's- And I went like this, I went- <laughs> Because all of a sudden I had permission. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I think, yeah, the permission part, I think when we when we all think that we have to hold it in and you have to be superhuman, that's when you get in trouble. Agreed. Right. And I think if you're not slightly scared to, in business, you're not doing good business. Exactly. You need to be slightly scared. Like every time I write a proposal, I got a little bit of fear niggling in the back of my head. You know, I got that amygdala, that amygdala response pattern going, do you sure you want to send this? But that's the power. I mean, when you own your fear versus try to react to it or survive it, it's amazing what the human body will do. The human body is capable of anything. It's your mind that holds you back. Exactly. Exactly. So. And I, you know, and I think it's that, it's that con constant push-pull between you know, seeking rewards and avoiding threats, right? Yes. Like you're, you're in between those two and your brain is designed to keep you safe. But, you know, I think we view our brains view, you know, fear of not getting a sale as same as fear of death, because it's all the yeah, same thing to our brain. It's connected, right? right? Um, so, you know, when you go into, when you go into these C-suites nowadays, um, what are the typical problems? Well, not, first, first question, what are the typical problems that you're seeing, I think, nowadays, because it's a different kind of environment to lead people through? Um, okay. Let's just start there and I'll, I'll give you the second part after that. Okay, sure. Absolutely. Uh, the most common problem I'm seeing now is crisis. Right. Uh, there's a lot of business leadership, a lot of organizational leadership. Uh, that savvy, that acumen is there. But when you add adversity, you add crisis, that's a whole, that's your litmus test as a leader. Exactly. Yep. As a high character leader, uh, you know, making sound and timely decisions under duress and stress and mm -hmm. emotional compromise. And, and still sticking to your mission. Right. So a lot of leaders are overthinking. Mm -hmm. They're getting egotistically compromised. Um, they're getting in their own way and they're taking their eyes off the, their, matter of fact, they're changing their plan so fast right. that it's creating discourse in the teams. Right, right. So Which I can imagine to your, to your earlier point, if your mission is that ingrained in you, you should be able to change your and your character and your level of character. And those core items are that ingrained in you. Like you were saying with the military, like that stuff is second nature, yeah. you know, and as a leader, sometimes it's not because it is not as deeply ingrained as you need it to be. Correct. Or there's a lack of scar tissue. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I mean, I love using that analogy. Like mm -hmm. a scar is a very ugly piece of tissue, but it's all, it's a, it's tougher tissue. It can handle more. And it's a constant reminder of the mistake you made. Exactly. So scar tissue is fantastic, especially emotional, psychological, and leadership scar tissue. That's a leader that has fallen down, stood back up, mm -hmm. fallen down, stood back up, hit the wall, gone through it, whatever. Next, 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 next. Right. Um, I, I, I tell people, like, I tell people, don't look for the knight in shining armor. Look for the guy that's got dented armor with rust and blood and mud. Because that person's been there and is willing to be there again for you. So I say, you know, especially in COVID, embrace, this is a great time to embrace. Uh, don't shy away from it. Don't, don't let your fear own you. Like this is a time to really test your 
value as a leader. Right, right. And as entrepreneurs in itself, right, I think there's, you saw the different categories when all of this hit of entrepreneurs, (laughs) like you really, and like, it was one great kind of psychological experiment when you saw the the fight, freeze and flight in like (laughs) full right in front of your face, which entrepreneurs did, which, and which like ran toward and just all of these things. So, I mean, how are you advising people to kind of manage what I call in my definition of resilience is the ability to manage the spectrum of emotions that comes with adversity and still continue to show up. So what, what are you telling people in regards to all of those emotions that are happening? Two things, uh, time and distance. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, no, that's the first one. (laughs) Cool. The first one's time and distance, time and distance. The more time you have and the more distance you have, the more availability you have to make a sound and timely decision when you're when the when the problem's this close to you not only are you myopic okay you don't have the scope of the whole problem now you're making decisions that can be emotionally based you have that amygdala hijack that little part of your brain that's your reptilian brain and it's got that fight flight flinch freeze response system and you got to re-gear to your prefrontal cortex which is your strategic brain so if you take a deep breath and exhale and actually take a physical step backwards, even if it's psychological or actual physical, it allows you to slow everything down, even if time is of the essence, to to look at it differently. The second piece is stop fucking focusing on the problem. Focus on the solution. (laughs) Thank you, you. yeah. The problem isn't the problem. Your perception of the problem is the damn problem. Exactly. A solution-based mindset is the only thing that's going to get us through this. So I have a commandment in my mental toughness commandments called find a way or make a way. Exactly. Because there is a way. <laughs> Everything is figure outable, right? We'll pull a little Marie Forleo in there. I mean, I say that to my kids. <laughs> I say that to my kids and they're like, be quiet, mom. And I'm like, no, but I'm serious. Like you, it may not be, let's be clear. It may not be the ultimate outcome. That's like your dream, but it is figure outable. And I have so many yeah. people that were like, well, that's very crass to say in these day, this day and age. And I'm like, well, I understand. And I have compassion to a point for those suffering. And I understand there are, there are some shitty situations. However, and I will be very blunt. If you backed me into a corner where I couldn't feed my family, the shit's figure outable. Yeah. Like I'm going to be, Very I'm going to be blunt and some people may hate me for saying that, but that's, that's okay. Well, okay. I think the term is Mephistophelian. I'm, you know, you're not wicked or evil. Exactly. Okay. Uh, it's more about Machiavellian thinking of, you know, the ends justify the means, but not at the cost of character or value. Exactly. There is always a solution, but again, like you said, sometimes it won't fit your narrative. And right now, right, I think that's the number one mistake we're facing systemically worldwide is where everyone's trying to get something to fit their narrative instead of how they fit in the narrative. Exactly. The I versus the we. Exactly. And right now, the word or is the tyranny of freedom. Yeah. We need more ands. Yeah. I mean, we just need the inclusivity. Um, I want to, I want to, I keep just because I'm taking notes furiously as you're speaking, because there's so many things that, you know, that you and I could speak yeah. about, but no problem. you know, when you, when you say, I say often when I'm giving speaking engagements, you know, there's the quote, when you're going through help, keep going, you know, and yeah. I, I sure in some searchers, in some situations, but I also, and I respect, respect that quote and the person who said it, but at the same time, I tend to say when you're going through hell, stop, you know, because you do need to your point that that distance that ability to take a breath and it's just amazing to me i said it on a on a talk with about 600 entrepreneurs last week and they were all like you want us to what like you want us to to stop like no no we're not doing that and i was like but but you're, to your point i just want to drive that home you're not allowing your brain to shift to the different section if yes. you do not allow it to and you're not just instinctually reacting right yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and that that time and distance includes breathing. Like yes. people don't realize the value of an exhalation. Absolutely. Your body actually relaxes when it exhales. Yeah. And just that ability to, and people say, oh, breathe. What they really should say is exhale. And everything slows down. Even when like, uh, when I trained uh, uh, soldiers or police or tactical, um, we actually train a technique called autogenic breathing. 
I believe it was uh, Dr. Dave Grossman that coined the phrase. And it's basically a style of breathing that forces your heart rate to drop, allows you to re-gear back to here, and allows you to make decisions in crisis in a, in, in a very, very sound way. But the thing is, when you get emotionally connected to your problem, and we do, don't we? As human beings, we love to get emotionally connected to our problem. Like, I have friends and family that they'll spend half an hour talking about the damn problem. And I'm like, are we done yet? Let's solve it. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not being insensitive. And again, it's not, it's not negating that your emotions aren't valid, right? The emotions are valid. You're human, all that stuff. However you know, when it becomes a point where it paralyzes you and you're in a, you know, a loop of it, then that negates your ability to act in crisis. You're, you're paralyzed at that point or free. Absolutely. I think it's important to understand the problem, Mm -hmm. but the moment you focus on the problem, basically you've picked the low hanging fruit. It, and, and it's very addictive. Anger is addictive. Frustration is addictive. Help, falling in love is addictive. Agreed. So because of that addictive uh, sense of it emotionally, we get drawn into it. We want to linger there. Uh, there's that famous story of the dark black wolf and the white wolf. And how it goes is uh, uh, an Aboriginal elders is talking to his grandson and he's talking to his grandson about the evil in the world and the light in the world. And he says, there's a black wolf and a white wolf within you. And the black wolf represents your deceit and your hatred and your, and all the things that are negative and your white wolf is your virtue and your value and your character and your worth, all the things that are good in you. And the little grandson says to his grandfather, well, grandfather, how, how do I know which one wins? And he says, whichever one you feed. So the pro- as long as you're focused on that problem, you're feeding the wrong wolf. Right. That's why solutions are so like, get yourself out of the way, put, hang your ego on a hook yeah. and get to that solution. And all of a sudden, believe it or not, emotionally, you get happier. Right. And I think you just made an excellent point of hanging your ego on a hook. <laughs> Cause I, I hardest I, lesson I ever learned. <laughs> I, no, but I think we're always constantly learning because our ego is there to save us and keep us yes. safe and do, and it does serve a purpose. Right. And I want to, I want to drive home that, um, leading with your ego is different than different than leading with confidence, because I think people, you know, mix those two up as egotistical versus confident. Those are two different things. Um, yes. you know, but I agree with you that often t- I will say a majority of the times when somebody is in their own way and you can see that and you can see it a mile away as I, as I can too, especially when you're looking at teams and leaders and, and coaching and stuff like that. Um, you know, it, it, it usually is their ego. It's usually their, their need to preserve self <laughs> on some level. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, your ego is your confidence, your ego is your ability to be proud of who you are, but ego in the, like, it's funny, you know, in certain units, you got to check your ego at the door. Otherwise it could cost you your life, like jumping out of an airplane. Yeah. Like if you have your ego involved, you're going to make a mistake that could cost you or someone else their life. Um, and I think that's also the main mistake, you know, in anything, whether it's sports or business, uh, law enforcement, as long as our ego is leading the way, we're going to make pretty poor decisions. I think you should be proud of who you are, what you do, confident in your knowledge, but be in love with what you don't know. Exactly. Don't be in love with what you do know. Yeah. Because everybody has something they don't know. I think that's when people get in trouble is when they're, when they think they got, they know it all right? When you, when you assume, well, I see this a lot when you assume because you're the CEO of a company that you know it all, that's, that's just red flag right there. If I, if I run into a CEO who is like ego is bigger than the company, you know, and that just speaks volumes to kind of that level of insecurity that is actually at the bottom of that, which, you know, boils down even further to the, am I good enough piece of being a human, right? So, um, you know, what are, what are you saying to people when they show up, show up with you with an ego like that? It's a delicate situation, I, actually, I would imagine. Believe, I get hired not because I'm delicate. I know. Uh, I wanted you to answer that question. Uh, um, I'm actually hired as two, th- I'm more, I'm not really a consultant as much as I am a trusted advisor and an honest broker. Right. 
I'm, a, I'm, I, I'm given a lot of permission to say the things people are typically afraid to say or can't say due to their sociopolitical exactly. dilemma or confines. So um, I tell them very bluntly, get out of your own way. And then I get them to this next question. What's your mission? Exactly. It's not about you. It's about your mission. So what is it? And once we get the mission, the next question after that is, what's your intent? Exactly. If you understanding the commander's intent or the leader's intent tells everyone how to be in alignment with them to get to the end state of the mission. We're not community. See, this is where a lot of senior leaders fail is that we're not using obvious language. We're using a lot of expectation, a lot of assumption. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I've even had a CEO once say to me, well, this is my C-suite. They should just know what to do. I mean, they're making $200,000, $300,000 a year. They should just know. Should they? Did you Based on them? what? Did you <laughs> Based <them>? on what? <laughs> exactly. Like, did you set expectations? The amount of conversations I've had over the years around, like, did you actually tell them what you expected yeah. of them? Or yeah. did you just assume they knew that your vision was this? <laughs> yeah. And that's the problem is we, we get a lot of really great leaders that are great orators that can talk about things and really influence people and more importantly, not influence, but motivate people. Yes. But now you've got a group of people that are motivated with a, with a lack of direction. Yes. And I think you see that a lot in the entrepreneurial community as well, because you have these people who are kind of the trendsetters and the, the people that you look to for motivation as entrepreneurs and you know, um, they don't necessarily have, they don't put context behind it. You know, if you're, if you're a leader in the entrepreneurial community and you're flashing your jets and you're flashing this and you're flashing that, like, whoo, like you're detached from your people on some level. Um, but go back to mission versus intent. Explain the difference between those two, please. Okay. So if your mission is to blow up a bridge before the sun comes up and you got a team of seven people and off you go, well, now the leader says, okay, your mission is to blow up this bridge by, you know, no later than sunup. However, my intent is that you fire no shots, no one sees you, and I want it done an hour before sunset. So now the end state is this bridge has to no longer exist by the time the sun comes up. And now he, the leader says, but my intention is, I don't want you seen, I want you to be ghosts, I want no shots fired, and I'd like it done a little early. Right. So now that team can make their own decisions on the ground in alignment with that that leader gave. A great way to use it, and it's something I've used in the past when I'm like landing in a crisis situation, I got to kind of galvanize a team whether I know them or not. I'll go, if nothing else happens by the end of today but blank, we will be successful. Mm-hmm. No matter what gets thrown at that team, they will accomplish that one thing, they'll feel successful, and any decisions they make will be in alignment based on that statement. So I'm successful no matter what. Exactly. And it's getting that, building that level of momentum, right? Yes. It's, it just, it reminds me on the same level as habit stacking, right? Like you have to build <laughs> that level of momentum behind it and rebuild, especially if you're coming into, as I have, I have done as well as you have done, into a team situation that's volatile, emotions are high, you know, money stakes are potentially extremely high, which puts the pressure on executive board pressure, you know, so to have that team step into, or if you're an entrepreneur, have yourself step into that first success and hype the shit out of it to make sure that you drive it home and create the momentum is extremely, I'm just going to put this again, extremely important when you're going into a room full of you know, chaos, essentially. Yeah. Well, when you're in chaos, you want to thin slice success. And like you said about habit yeah. stacking, you do, you want to stack all your successes. So it gives pe- your people confidence. But the other side of that is trust. Even if you don't know your people, a, a great leader is not the smartest guy in the room exactly. or woman. And it's also not uh, necessarily the specialist in the room either. They bring in the specialist, they bring in the smartest people, then take the leash off mm-hmm. and let them go do what they do best. But the key is communication. Yes. Because the number one reason for conflict worldwide, I don't care if it's at a familial level between husband and wife, all the way up to world wars, 
the number one reason for conflict is a lack of or disruption of communication. Yes. No, I couldn't agree more because I think, especially if you come into even like a customer versus, you know, entrepreneur situation, you come into any of those, everybody's situation is colored by their life's experiences. So I often say to clients, what, what frame are you looking through right now? Are you looking through your frame and, you know, not communicating through theirs? You know, so there's a, there's that disconnect. Like you said, if you are not communicating it, you cannot expect somebody to, to meet your expectations ever. Yeah. And understanding how they hear it as well. Yeah. Well, that's as a leader, I'm a big fan of words matter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the moment you even use the word expectation, people start assuming. Yeah, exactly. Because the word expectation infiltrates our language, and it has for quite some time. Here's, I have two separate clients, uh, which of course will remain nameless, but they have the same mission statement: which we will exceed our clients' expectations. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. Well, how would you know? Yeah. Is it measurable? You, like, you have, you you have no idea what that. <laughs> exactly. But uh, see, and that's my that's the Sean Bacon of an expectation is it's an assumption without the benefit of communication. I expect you to know better. I expect you to be on time. I mean, hell, I'm Roman Catholic and half Portuguese. My mom expected me to be a priest. Exactly. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure she's disappointed. <laughs> but that's also the number one emotion tied to an expectation is disappointment. Yes. Yes. Everything has an emotion attached to it. But a standard, now a standard is your minimum level of acceptable success. It's your line. It's your metric. You're either above it you're below it right and if you're below it we'll help you get above it and if you're above it how do we elevate it yeah now great companies have great standards right not expectations which exactly can which can be at the whim of emotion um which is why you see a lot of people you know this this time of year you know setting goals and doing all that type of stuff because we're, we're recording this in january god bless god bless new year's resolutions um <laughs> You know, and then they, they don't understand that they're setting to your point, they're setting their expectations, but they're not building any standards in there. They're not, they're saying, I'm going to go to the gym all the time. Well, high five. What the hell does that mean? You know? um, And they're not really building in those standards of if I go 10 times in one month, I meet it. I meet the standard. And I think those are two very, very important things to distinguish between because I think they get confused very often in professional settings. Agreed. Matter of fact, let me take it a step further, considering we're talking about in in particular resiliency. Yeah. Um, Integrity. In the middle of the word integrity is the word grit. Yeah. Like we need to put the grit back in integrity. Mm -hmm. And integrity is really about your follow through. Yes. Okay. The, the metric for your integrity is what's your will. If you say it, have you done it? Right. Otherwise, you've lost your credibility and your integrity, either as a professional, as a person, or whatever. Um, if, if, that's why I'm very careful, like why words matter, why I'm very careful what I promise or threaten, because now I got to follow through. Right. Yeah. Like I think, and what? it's what's, it's what you do with the lights are off as well. You and I both. Yeah, I like that. That's good. I like that. Right. And when the when the spotlight is off or when the team has left the room or when your client is no longer sitting across from you, it is also that. It's your ability to walk the walk and talk the talk. Yes. You're no longer, your ego is no longer being fed from the spotlight being on. That's right. I totally concur. Um, you know, it's funny because um <laughs> being a mental toughness quote-unquote expert, which I don't necessarily like the word expert at all. Uh, my mentor, Bob Prue, used to say uh, an expert or a specialist is someone that knows more and more about less and less. Um, <laughs> so um, you have to be very mindful about, you know, how you represent. Yes. Right. Um, my wife and I do a cleanse every January for the month, for the past eight years. <laughs> Happy January. <laughs> and it's never been fun and it's never been easy. But you know something? The fact that we do, the, just the psychological, emotional, and physical gratification to know that I followed through yeah, means more to me than the actual results of the cleanse. Exactly. It's the journey. I mean, you hear that a lot when people speak about becoming a millionaire. It's not the becoming the millionaire. It's the road to becoming a millionaire, right? Or the road to building your business. I think I have a lot of problems when people are like, oh, are you so excited about, you know, the podcast launch or the this? 
And for a while I thought it was me not accepting like my wins or some crap, but then I realized no, because I'm more focused on the steps yeah. to getting there that the, the top of the mountain, you know, isn't, isn't the thing for me, if that makes, if that resonates at all. Oh, absolutely. Um, for a lot of people, the process is way more important than the actual destination. Right. Uh, if, and unfortunately for those folks that are psychologically profiled in that direction, um, you know, their successes are typically become anti-climatic, you know, it's, it's, it's very tough for them. Yes. Uh, and you actually have to start teaching them how to celebrate yes. <laughs> their excellence, right? Exactly. Touche. I'm just laughing because it's me. So, <laughs> um, and my coaches, if they're listening, are probably like, yeah, yep. Ding, ding. Right there. Um, so let's, let's talk resilience in like our last couple minutes. So, you know, you've got the people who are listening right now who are looking for that way to get back up, my dear. And I know you've gotten back up from quite a few situations. You know, what are the top, I don't know, top three things. And I know you've mentioned some of them, but let's get real specific that you believe can help them. I mean, on some levels, just do the courageous thing of getting out of bed, because I think there is courage in just doing that on some days, you know, fear or be damned. You know, what are the top three things that you would maybe tell those folks? Uh, fear and greatness is a choice. Yeah. Let's start there. The power of choice is unbelievably powerful psychologically. When you commit, and I want to use that word intentionally here, when you truly commit your heart and your soul to a choice, you get there. It, it just, it manifests, it becomes reality. Um, and you have to understand that fear is a choice. Greatness is a choice, but it also comes with a cost. Okay. But as long as you make that choice, you're going to do it. Second piece, it's okay to be vulnerable. Vulnerable is a state of courage. They are symbiotic. They're yeah. not, you know, they're not mutually exclusive. Okay. They, they need each other. Yes. Um, you got to be okay with being vulnerable. Uh, yeah, you're going to hit the ground. Maverick, you're going to hit the wall over and over again. I actually hope you do. Yeah. Just keep going. Uh, the next step. Matter of fact, let me let me wrap it up in a tight little bow here. <laughs> in Canada, there's a young man. There was a young man in the 1980s named Terry Fox, and he got cancer, lost his leg, and then beat the cancer, but wanted to raise awareness for cancer. So he starts running across Canada. This is the second biggest country on the planet. On one leg. He ran a marathon, an actual, the distance of a marathon every day for 43 days before they pulled him off the road because the cancer got back to him. Right. He wanted to quit so many times, but he'd rather fail than quit. See, you... Failure isn't a choice. Quitting is. Well, and failure is not a person. It's a moment in time that you can rebound from. That's right. So here's a young man in his 20s running on one leg, a marathon, 43 days, dies. But his effect, his choice, his commitment, his follow through, his vulnerability allowed him to build a resilience that was profound that his legacy still lasts today in this country. Right. So if you're talking about a young man with one leg in cancer that did that, What's holding you back? Get over yourself, get out of your own damn way and commit to one step after the other. Make right. the choice. Don't pick the low hanging fruit. Don't offer yourself fluff. You're worth more than that. Right, right. Pick one thing, aim straight at it like a cruise missile and do it. But I, yeah, sorry, I, I wanted to check. There's a, exactly, thank you. You and I are on the same page. Those, those success slices that you referenced before, or, you know, inch stones, somebody call them, in, someone will call them instead of milestones, right? Yeah, I like that. I think that, and just to be clear, to go back when you said fear and greatness are choices, it doesn't mean they go away. I want right. to just say it for the 50 millionth time on this call. It's a choice to not <laughs> let it drive the bus, folks. It's a, it's a choice to not put fear in the driver's seat and allow you to stop. And then also to your point, the word commitment. Commitment doesn't mean commitment on you know a day when it's sunny and you feel great. Commitment is when it's raining days. If I could leave you with an anecdote. Yeah, of course. Um, 
like I mentioned before, I was very fortunate enough to belong to this uh, Pathfinder platoon uh, in an airborne infantry unit. And I was an MP. I shouldn't have been a part of the unit at all. And um, I, I can remember we were supposed to do this uh, brigade level uh, ruck run with all our, our gear. And like Pathfinder packs are like ridiculously heavy, like 80 pounds and sometimes more like soul crushing, knee crushing weight. Yeah. And it's, you know, 0500, it's November, it's big, it, Northern Ontario, it's big, sloppy rain, almost sleet, like it just wants to kind of snow. And we're sitting on our packs on the ground, feeling sorry for ourselves, like our lip is out to hear, stupid. <laughs> and in once a guy named Robert Short, and he was one of our first casualties in Afghanistan, he was one of my mentors, I, I, I miss him deeply. And he walked in, took one look at us, and he always had this way of walking in with this big, beautiful smile. He was always that power of optimism guy. Yeah. And he goes, come on, boys, this is what we do. One phrase, bang, we are up, we are moving, we, we own that day, we outperform people with packs half as heavy because of one leader reminding us that we were not only capable but because of who we are, we were committed to setting the standard. Mm -hmm. And that's what a great leader does, is they set the tone, they inspire, managers move shit, leaders inspire stuff, okay? Exactly, inspire so greatness. They inspire greatness rather than architecting it. Exactly. Thank you. I love that. Okay. I might steal that, actually. Fine. Steal <laughs> away, folks. Um, you know, and I just, I want to... <laughs> For anybody that's listening, that line, because that's what you do, okay? You know, that can shut off because I, I used to say some, something similar before I walked into like a mess, right? Because I was the, the mess cleaner, you know, when it came to some of my, my roles in my corporate life, right? It, messier, hand it to Michelle type of thing, um, you know, and it's just what I did, you right. know, because, but I think the part that's interesting about that phrase too, is it's a conscious choice, with it as well, you know, and that I think because sometimes people will use that on the opposite, well, fail, well, that's just what I do, so I won't do it again. But it, you can easily choose to shift that narrative and say, no, kicking this, you know, goal's ass is what I do. You know, yeah, stepping absolutely. into my greatness is what I do. Serving my clients at the top notch of service is what I do. Yeah, <laughs> Period. absolutely. I love you. Yeah, absolutely. I love you so much. You and I are such good conversations. <laughs> Not in a creepy way, I promise. Um, <laughs> no, love and respect here too. Love and respect here too. Um, all right, my dear. Any last kind of sentiments as we wrap things up? If I was to say anything to anybody that's, you know, going to be an entrepreneur or a leader and look, adversity is actually the best thing that's ever going to happen to you. Pain and discomfort is temporary. Exactly. If, as long as you understand that you will get through everything, not anything, you'll get through everything. And even though I don't know you, I don't see you, I believe in you. So get on with it. Exactly. I couldn't have said it better myself, my dear. Thank you. Tell folks where they can find you online because they definitely should be finding you. Uh, www.dynamic-shift.com. And uh, I look forward to answering any questions anyone has. Yeah. Wonderful guys. Reach out, reach out to Sean, you know, check out the show notes. Um, like I said, he and I are very much on a very similar, similar plane of being in this world. Um, and it's been a, it's just been an amazing conversation with you. So thank you for coming on, Sean. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. There are many things in this episode that I could drive home just because Sean and I, we have very similar approaches to crisis and to in regards to resilience and how to overcome things. But one thing in particular that I feel needs to be, you know, just reiterated uh, from what he said, and there were a lot of things. And I think this is one of those episodes that, you know, you would, it would do you some good to go back and listen to it again, because I think every time you listen to it, you may hear something a little bit different that could help you, especially in crisis. However, the number one thing that I see and I have seen in my history, whether it was in corporate or consulting or the nonprofit world or entrepreneurship is that when there is a crisis or when there is a problem, people tend to do two things. Number one, they focus on the problem, meaning who is to blame for the problem, 
right? Instead of looking at it and say, okay, this is a crisis that we need to move through because oftentimes some of those things are time sensitive, especially if you're looking at it from a perspective of, you know, there's money on the line or whatnot, you know, you do not have time to be pointing fingers. You can do that in the postmortem. You can do that after the fact, when you're looking at the process and understanding where it went wrong, you know, you can do that later on to figure out what needs to be fixed and where the point of failure is. What you need to do in the moment is the solve. You need to move through it and you need to remedy the situation in the most effective way possible. And finger pointing is not that way. So that's number one. And then number two is the fact that, you know, if you're feeling paralyzed or if you're, you know, running a team of people who are in a situation of crisis, or even if you are just a solo entrepreneur in a, in a situation of crisis, you know, you need to check the ego at the door. Your ego is something that is there to keep you safe, but it is also there to get in your way. And if you can get to the point where you can rely on the mission of the company that you're running, or, you know, that why, or however you want to state it, then you should be able to walk forward with integrity and not with worrying about your ego getting bruised in the crisis, because you should be doing what is best in alignment with that mission. Make sense? I hope so. And if it doesn't, you can reach out to Sean or myself, and we are happy to clarify these points for you. It's, it's one of the things that I'm most passionate about, especially when it comes to leadership and you know mentoring or coaching leaders. I think it's extremely important to know when and how to check your ego at the door and also how to lead through crisis, because it is something that too many of us are doing right now. So on next week's episode, I am welcoming my friend Kia Watkins, who guys talk about creative. This person, I just love her so much. She and I are going to be talking about how important creativity and community are to the entrepreneurial journey. And this is an episode you do not want to miss because we just talk about so many wonderful and relevant topics. So do not miss it next Monday. All right. And thank you for everybody again, who has supported us through these first 50 episodes. I can't wait to be coming to you with after the next 50. And, you know, as always, if you love this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, download, rate, and review, and, you know, tell a friend because who couldn't use a little more resilience in their life, right? See you later.